our series we're calling You Are, uh, considering there's a lot of ways that we view ourselves, a lot of ways we view one another, but how does God view us? Um, how does God his uh, voice to what God says about us? Uh, I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. You can remain seated. You've been standing here for a while. So this is uh, Romans chapter 6. Do not let, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Lord, thank you that these words are true. Thank you that those who are in Christ are not under law. We are under your grace. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we're going to break this down into basically those two thoughts that, that Paul ends uh, these remarks about our relationship with the law. He says, you're not under law. You are not under law. You are under grace. That's how God views us in Christ. That's how we need to view ourselves. That's how we need to view uh, one another in Christ. You're not under law. You're under grace. Um, but we have to kind of understand what is the, the rock out from under you know, which we've been, we've been saved. If we were under law, now we're not under law. So what does it mean that we, were, we at once upon a time were under the law. So you're, you're not under the law's requirement, you're not under the law's curse is, is really how we wanna understand what it means that we've been brought from that condition of being under the law to not being under the law. We were under God's law's requirement. We were under the curse for breaking those laws. Um, you know, imagine two postures with with regard to the law, um, we want to talk about those who are under the law, and we want to look at what it might mean to be above the law. Uh, if you can just imagine, like, what word picture comes to mind when you think of somebody who's under the law? I don't know what comes to your mind, but I think of somebody under an enormous rock, under a boulder. You know, like, they're just squashed, smushed under the weight that is... Uh, you know, absolutely crushable. It, it, you cannot survive that weight. You can't get out from under it. You can't rescue yourself. You're just, you're stuck. And that's one person who's under the law. They try to keep the rules. They try to be good, but they keep messing up. You know, he feels guilty. She is very aware of, of her shame. They feel the weight of the law's requirements crushing them. And that's what it means to be under the law. But what about the person who views himself or herself as above the law? Maybe not squished underneath the boulder, but like standing on top of it? And this could be the person who, because of power, uh, because of uh, wealth, uh, because of, of privilege, some kind of like insider relationship, uh, they the, the same rules don't apply to them. Like they do stuff and, and, and they get off. They don't, they don't go to jail. Other people do the same stuff or, or less and, and get worse sentences, you know, and, and face stiffer penalties 
there are just some people in our human understanding of the courts that seem to be above the law. They get away with stuff. Or you've got the person, you know, maybe they're not, you know, they'll have lots of connections, lots of power, whatever, but they just sort of see themselves above the law in the sense that I've got this, you know, I've beat the law, I'm victorious over the law, I've kept the law, it doesn't condemn me, I'm good. That's how they see themselves, above the law. Standing on top of the boulder, doing the rocky pose, you know, victorious. Those are the two, two postures with regard to the law, under it and over it. But the truth is that nobody's standing on top of that rock. Nobody's standing on that boulder. Regardless of how you see yourself, regardless of how the world sees itself, everybody's under the law, crushed by its weight. So people who've got the power and the connections and the privilege, they may be able to manipulate human courts, but you cannot manipulate God's court. We don't have any sway over him. You can't bribe him. You can't convince him. you, you, You can't manipulate him. So no matter what, kind of what your human you know, power and wealth and privilege are, it, it, that counts for nothing in God's court. And that person is just as much under God's law as the rest of us. And, and the people who think that they've got the law under their control you know, or that they've somehow beat the law, they, they're, they're kidding themselves. Not that they aren't very disciplined, not that they aren't super moral. Maybe they're far better people than me and you and all of us combined. Let's give them that credit. But nonetheless, according to God's standard, they're just just playing the buffet. They're walking through this morality buffet line saying, I'll have a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Just just picking, piling onto their plate what's preferable and ignoring the parts that aren't, ignoring the parts that are inconvenient. There was um, John Fisk, who some of you know, the guy who wears the kilt, right? Uh, So we were sharing at the men's retreat and he told me about this podcast, uh, Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. How's that? Because like John, his family came out of the uh, uh, independent fundamentalist Baptist church, you know, where it's only King James Version. And so this podcast, are all these people who are, who are reflecting on their experience growing up in this. And, and one of the guys was talking to me, or, I'm sorry, not talking to me, but, but on the podcast, you know, just, we're just having a conversation. Uh, and, and he's sharing about being in Bible college, Fundamentalist Bible College, this is, this is the, this group of, of folks who think that they've got the law figured out. They beat it. They're victorious over it. Um, and, and one of the things that, that they were doing to make sure that they never come close is kind of like a, a, a Pharisee strategy. We're going to put some extra rules in place to keep you from stumbling, keep you from falling off the cliff of ever breaking one of God's laws. And one of those rules at this Bible college was no, guys can't wear any facial hair. Uh, your, your, your sideburns can't be below your earlobes and you know, you've got to be clean shaven otherwise. Except if you're in the college passion production and you have to play Jesus and you've got to grow your beard. Which, come, I mean, really, come on. Like, Jesus has a beard, but you can't have a beard because in order to be holy, you have to be clean-shaven. But wait, Jesus is holy. He's got a beard. I have no idea how they reconcile that. But here's, here's the poor guy who's got to play Jesus. Like, they're talking about this in this podcast. The guy who's playing Jesus has to wear a beard badge. This is a thing. 
A beard badge is a thing that you wear on campus and it gives you, you know, permission to have facial hair. You don't get a demerit as long as you've got the beard badge. Where did, I mean, who invents this stuff? But, we're, but, but people try to like, and, uh, create these systems and this um, structure of rule keeping that makes you feel good about your ability to obey. Makes you feel like you've got the law figured out. You're on top of it, but you're not. You're just kind of, it's just a smokescreen. It's just distraction. It's a shell game because the reality is everyone is under the law. Um, earlier in Romans, if you want to flip to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. That's what the law does. It, it tells us, it, it, tell, it makes clear to our conscience that yes, we have fallen short. We have broken God's laws. Uh, earlier in chapter 2, Paul says, all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Chapter 4, verse 15 tells us that the law brings wrath. We're in a really hard relationship with the law. We're stuck underneath it, feeling its weight, guilty and ashamed. But what the gospel's telling us is that you're not under the law if you're in Christ, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the other thing that what, what the, the gospel tells us is that you're not under the law's condemnation and you're not under its curse. So left to ourselves, the, the law convicts us. Left to ourselves, the law curses us. Galatians is a book um, in addition to Romans that Paul wrote in chapter 3 to the church at Galatia. He says that everybody who relies on the works of the law are under a curse. So if you're trying to look at the law as a means to get right with God, score points with God, that's going to lead you down a dark, dark, dark eternal path. That's called the curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So if you're going to be you know, justified by the law, you've got to do it all. You can't break any of it because what Scripture says is that cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law. Everybody feels this. Everybody knows this. It's true. It's self-evident because everybody is under a curse. We know this. People who go to church know this. People who don't go to church know this. People who read their Bible know this. People who don't read their Bible. How do we know this? Because we, we feel it. We sense it. You can't not feel it. Everyone feels the curse, even if they're not religious. We just know that we don't measure up. It's why we crave affection and affirmation. It's why we're starved for people to tell us, you know, good job. Um, it's why, you know, you're so crushed by criticism, whether it's at school or at work or, you know, online. It's why we're, we're dis no, we're not disappointed. We're depressed. You know, if you don't get enough likes, uh, if you don't get attention, you know, from the things that you post and so on. It's why we're so insecure about uh, wearing the right clothes and fitting in. It's like um, I did a little experiment today. I don't know if you noticed my shoes. Anybody notice my shoes? I'm, I'm breaking some rules here. 
Breaking some, I know a fashion faux pas. How many of you noticed my fashion faux pas when I, when I came? Okay, now, you know, a few of you, good. The rest of you are just blind and completely, I know I'm tall, so I, I give you, you're not looking down there. All right, so among those of you who noticed my fashion faux pas, um, how many of you didn't think that it's right to tell me about it? You know, you, you don't you don't have to you don't have to raise your hand, but but I'm wondering. Like a couple of you said, "Hey, Essen, what's with the shoes?" And it's like, "Oh, sermon." Okay, yeah, fine, I got it. But the rest of you were like, "I don't know if I should say it." Like, is he just did he did he just did he get dressed in the dark? You know, like all kinds of thoughts were coming into your head. Like, what is wrong with that guy? I went out and I walked the dog this morning, and I was I was I was kind of in a hurry, so I and I actually had this thought. I was getting dressed for church, and I'm, have, I'm walking the dogs, and I thought. I'm going to put on my other shoes and then I'll get back to the house and I'll change into my, my mismatched shoes because if I'm walking the dogs and somebody sees me with my mismatched shoes, they're going to think I'm an idiot. I had that thought. Why did I have that thought? Why do I care? Why do you care? Because we feel the curse. And inevitably, I'm walking and the dogs and, and here comes my neighbor you know, right down the driveway and she's like, what's up with the shoes? I said, sermon illustration. She's like, oh yeah, got it. But what if, what if she was too embarrassed to say anything? Like, what if she was following the rule of you're not supposed to ask? And she's looking at my shoes and I'm looking at her, but we're not saying anything. And I'm walking the dog and I'm just waving. And I'm, and I'm thinking, she's, she, she's, she thinks I'm an idiot, you know? Or, you know, or, or she's walking by going, poor, poor Kathy, you know, like whatever. Um, all of the rules. We're surrounded by rules. We constantly see ourselves in light of what are the rules? What's expected? How do I, how do I get people's affirmation? How do I get people's approval? And we feel the curse when we break those rules, when we fall short. And, and so whether you're you know, spiritually minded and religiously minded or not, everybody feels the curse but what we're really blessed to have is the revelation of what is the origin of that. Where does that come from? We're God's image bearers. We're made in his image and he put his law in our hearts and he's revealed it to us through his word. And now we know how do we get out from under the law? How can we be delivered from this curse? Um, there's a law to everything. We're, you know, it's our immediate instinct to run from this guilt and the shame, but we can't. Like we just know we fall short of the religious rights and the and the, the sort of cultural codes, even our state statutes. Nobody gets it right hundred percent. And that's just all a reflection of God's ultimate laws, his standards. So the gospel says we're not blessed by the law. We're not delivered from the curse by the law. We're blessed and delivered by grace, not by keeping the law. And so this is the good news. We have to recognize what was our condition. Now we know that we are under grace. We're under God's gracious pardon. So, you know, nobody in the world is immune from guilt and from shame. We all know we fall short. Everybody's under this boulder of of condemnation for, for breaking the rules and breaking God's laws. And some people are trying to ignore it. You know, the boulder doesn't exist. I just, you know, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm being crushed, but I'm fine. But others are going to keep trying to wriggle free. Um, we try as much as we, as much as we might, we, we are trying to be, to deliver ourselves from this predicament. 
Uh, one of the strategies we have is we just kind of move the goalposts and we pretend like the law is not what it is. And we, we um, I was reading this article, uh, found this news thing that this past week about Dollar Tree. Um, and if you've ever been to Dollar Tree and you do the double double dip at Harbor Freight and Dollar Tree, it's a score. It's an awesome, it's not a great date, but guys, if you're looking for something economical, uh, it's, it's super. But if you go into Dollar Tree, the whole gimmick for Dollar Tree is that everything costs how much? A dollar. Everybody knows that. If you go to Dollar Tree, everything costs a dollar. Whatever you want to get, it's a buck. And it just adds up, and sooner or later, you're walking out and you've spent 55 bucks. But it's a buck. Everything in there is a buck until this past week. Until I was uh, the Wall Street Journal, you know, here's the article, Dollar Tree to sell more items above a dollar as costs rise. What are we going to do? Reality as we know it is warping. Uh, Dollar Tree said it would start selling products at $1.25 and $1.50 or other prices slightly above a dollar in some of its stores. Stop right there because what in the world is slightly above a dollar when you've got 25 and 50% inflation? I don't know why that's slightly above a dollar. And they're expanding this in the current test selling items at higher price points as supply chain snarls, a tight labor market, and inflation push costs higher. So we do Dollar Tree religion. And when things get hard, when the law gets too hard to keep, when it's difficult and we can't manage the rules anymore, we just change them. I can't do those laws, so I'll focus on these laws now. Or I can't do those laws, and so I'll, I'll major in these things. And I'll just, I'll move the goalposts. I'll adapt, I'll, I'll, I'll shift, and I'll, I'll warp reality in order to compensate. That's, that's our strategy. But no, we don't have to. Not, not only can we not, but we don't have to. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We are delivered from that weight, that guilt, and that shame by another, by the one who redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. Bearing our guilt, absorbing our shame into his body, into his atoning sacrifice, he died as a sin-bearing substitute. For all who put our faith in him, in another, not us, not our ability to keep the law, but in Jesus who took the law's penalty for us. This is at the heart of the gospel. Brennan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, says this is the God of the gospel of grace, the God who gets us out from the crushing boulder of the curse of the law, a God who out of love for us sent the only son he ever had wrapped in our skin. He learned how to walk, stumbled and fell, cried for his milk, sweated blood in the night, was lashed with a whip and showered with spit was fixed to a cross and died whispering forgiveness on us all. Father, forgive them. Forgive these lawbreakers and accept my sacrifice instead. That was what Jesus 
was doing on the cross. God has blessed us in Christ, delivered us from the curse. He saved us from this you know, thing that we brought on ourselves, the weight of our guilt and our shame. And he's brought us into this kingdom where Jesus is our Savior and we are approved, we're accepted, we're affirmed in Christ. So that's this one aspect of the gospel where we're not cursed, we're blessed. And then we're under God's favor because of what Jesus has done for us. We're not cursed, instead we're blessed. You can't ignore this weight that crushes us. We can't ignore our guilt, we can't ignore our shame. The only way to be free from the law is not to, to rewrite it, not to just obey parts of it, not to ignore it, but to fulfill it. It's the only way to get the, out from under that weight is to fulfill it. Jesus is the one who came and lifted that boulder up through his law keeping. He did the heavy lifting. He did the work that we couldn't do. We could not lift that border. We could not obey enough. We could not obey consistently from the heart. And Jesus did. Uh, Paul, uh, two chapters later in Romans 8, says, puts it this way, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, what we could not do. He lifted the boulder by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order, and, and, and dial in here, this is important, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, if you've been around Tabernacle, if you've been um, listening for you know, years, I, I think you're on board with this, but if you're new or new-ish, listen up, because this is a part of the gospel that few Christians really grasp. Like most... We, we get that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, delivered us from the curse. I mean, if you're a Christian, that means you've put your faith in Jesus to be your sin-bearing substitute. But what a lot of us don't really latch on to is that he wasn't just a sin-bearing substitute. He was our law-keeping representative who did the heavy lifting. He fulfilled the law. Jesus didn't, uh, didn't you know, ball up the law and, and throw it into the trash can. He didn't selectively keep a few of the commandments just to kind of get the law, you know, appease a part of it. He fulfilled all of it. And he did it for us. His death accomplished our, our, our pardon from the curse, but his life accomplished the law's fulfillment. Like we think that the, all Jesus really had to do was die on the cross to take our sins away. And if that was the case, then what was Jesus' 33 years about that he was on this earth? Um, why wouldn't Christianity be kind of like the Star Trek model of a Savior who is beamed down to planet Earth, he dies on the cross, and then he raises back up, and then, you know, my work's done here. We're good. My people are saved. I did the cross, and, and now we can move on. But that's not what happened. Jesus instead was, was as Brendan Manning was pointing out, he cried for his milk. He skinned his knee. You know, he lived this life and experienced life in our bodies. He was a fully human, fully, fully human being for us in order to fulfill the law. So what this means is that in Galatians, Paul says that Jesus, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, listen, born under the law. Do you see how he takes our place under the boulder? The difference is that he lifts it. 
He completes and fulfills the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you guys remember uh, this show that, uh, I don't know when it stopped, but uh, it had a run a few seasons called What Not to Wear. You had these two kind of fashionistas, these fashion gurus, and they would take these, these helpless um, people, uh, men and women, um, mostly women, who were just fashion disasters, you know? And, and you would nominate your friend, your bestie, who's a fashion disaster, and say, hey, choose my friend and highlight them, focus on them for an entire episode, and let's talk about just how bad their wardrobe is. <laughs> and then they, they, give, they give them a shopping spree in New York City, uh, they get their hair done, you know, they'll, they'll do the whole mani-pedi thing. And, they, and, and these people have this, this transformation, this makeover, wardrobe and, and everything. And then at the end of the show, there's this reveal. And everybody goes, oh my goodness, you know, it's not even the same person because of just what they're wearing. So now they've been sort of delivered. It's a great picture of how they've been delivered from this shame of like, oh, you're so frumpy and you're so, you know, like, oh, get it together. And now they're just, you know, somebody that everybody wants to dress like and be like, and oh my goodness, what a transformation, what a glow. The gospel is a picture of what not to wear, our sin, our shame. And, and we're, we're given a transformation through what Jesus accomplished for us. He doesn't just take our sin away. He fulfilled the law in order to give us what the prophets called a robe of righteousness. Isaiah Isaiah said, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I want you to imagine Jesus seeing you, and, and maybe you're that person at the beginning of one of those episodes of what not to wear, in our own sin and our own guilt and our own shame, and we feel terrible. We feel our shame, we feel our guilt. And Jesus comes and says, how can I help? And we see Jesus, and he's glorious, and he's good, and he's holy, and he's beautiful, and we're nothing. What Jesus does is he, he takes our sin on himself, but then he, gives, he takes his robe of righteousness and says, wear this. I'm going to cover your nakedness. I'm going to cover your shame. I'm going to cover your guilt. And you're brand new, and you're as glorious as he is. God looks at you and sees you as beautiful, as righteous, as law-keeping, as his son. So, you know, at the beginning of our passage in Romans 6, Paul's saying, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those are really, really important words. Consider yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do for yourself, consider yourself the way that God considers you. And the, what God tells us here is that you are not under law. You are under grace. Consider yourself, count yourself not under law, but under grace. Even though we, we wrestle with our guilt, we wrestle with our shame, we feel you know, the weight of how we don't measure up, that's all true. But that's not the only thing that's true. What's also true is that Jesus took that weight off of us. He took it, put it on himself, and he exchanged that weight with this beauty, this glory, this righteousness 
That is all of his law-keeping record applied to you and to me. All of the fulfillment of the law that he managed, all the heavy lifting that he did, he credits to you. Count yourselves law-keeping. And then that puts us in an entirely different relationship with the law. We're not under the law anymore. We, we never were above it, even though maybe you imagined you were. Maybe sometimes we imagine we are. We've never been above the law. We've all been under the law. But now through Jesus, we have a different preposition, a different description, different relation with the law. We're beside it. The law is beside us as an ally, not an enemy. The law is beside us as an advocate, as a guide, as a teacher, as an instructor. The law now helps us see reality more clearly because the law is there to to be a blessing to us, to, to help us and to guide us to see Jesus more clearly, to see God more clearly. The, the, the law is basically a reflection of God's purity and his holiness. If we're singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If we're singing holy, holy is you know Jesus. All of that, all they're saying is that he is perfect, he's pure, he's beautiful, he's good. And you can't be those things if you're not also keeping the law. And the law helps us see the character of God. The law helps us see the character of Jesus. If you have a telescope at home, um, one of those, you know, not the big, fat, computer-generated ones that are enormous and, and really expensive, but just, you know, the old home standard version at it's about this long, kind of skinny. Reminds me of a baseball bat. If you were to take that telescope, you know, and, and use it as a baseball bat, uh, maybe, maybe you'd hit the ball. It's probably not very good for the telescope. It's not what the telescope's for. It doesn't make a very good baseball bat. But if you use the telescope and hold it up to your eye, it's really, really good at seeing things you'd never see before. And that's what the law does. When you hold the law up and look through it and you can see things you've never seen about the beauty of Jesus, the glory of God, the law is a terrible baseball bat and a beautiful telescope. The law is terrible at making us feel, you know, not guilty anymore. But it's beautiful at leading us to Jesus. The law shows us, look, you fall short. You need a savior. Run to Jesus. The law, once you have Jesus, the law shows how, how good and holy and perfect and pure Jesus is. And the beauty of this gospel is that we imitate what we admire. Once you're a new creation, once you, once you are, are looking at Jesus and admiring him for his love and for his goodness, guess what? We can't help but imitate what we admire. That's why we're all dressed the way we are. You're dressed the way you are because you admired that look on somebody once upon a time. So I know what's going to happen next week. You're all going to come in uh, with your mismatched shoes, and that's okay. You can do that, or you don't have to do that. Please don't do that. But we, we, all, you know, we all get kind of like, hey, that looked good on them. I'm going to, ooh, that looks good on that catalog. That, you know, you're whatever. We imitate what we admire. And the gospel puts us in a different relationship with the law. It's now beside us showing us Jesus. Don't you want to be like him? Not to earn our salvation. Not to get the rock out off, off of our back. But because we're out from under it already and we want to be like the one who saved us. We want to show other people his goodness and his glory. Paul told Timothy that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. 
We use the law lawfully when we look through it to, to see Jesus. Christianity without Jesus doesn't work. The law without Jesus doesn't work. But with Jesus, we're not under the law. We're beside it. We're not under condemnation. We're under grace. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your love for us, your pursuit of us, your grace toward us, who left to ourselves, we'd be in rough shape. Um, Lord, we pray that you would continue to help us to, to love as we've been loved, uh, that we would look at others, uh, not through the lens of guilt and shame, but really through the lens of the grace of God toward us, that you would forgive us, we can forgive others, that you would draw near to us, we can draw near to others. Lord, I pray that we would Rejoice more and more um, in how you not only saved us from our sins, but you fulfilled the law's righteousness in our place. And that you look at us now as those who are completely approved, completely without shame. That we wear this robe of righteousness, and we praise you for that. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, just make us a church more and more that lives out of this reality. Um, each one of us, men and women and, and, and uh, adults and children, and we pray for, in particular for several of our families that, that more and more, uh, all of us, but these in, in particular, would.